0: 13 through 25. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, (coughs) excuse me, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for the cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honour all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honour the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the poor. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering, wrongfully. For what glory is he, if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if, when ye do well, and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even here unto where ye call, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye shall follow his steps, who did not sin, Neither was God found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judged righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. The Lord bless the reading of his word. Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6.
1: Adrian, could I I have the clicker, you think? That That might work. I don't know. I, I could hit it, but we'll see how this goes. I have options. Thank you. So we're going to continue our series in... Timothy today and a very, I believe, very important subject for God's people to understand as we talk about three keys for a Christian slave. And I will talk a bit about slavery and what's the biblical view of that and answer the question, did Paul promote or endorse slavery? And my emphatic answer, and I want you to be able to answer that, because some people are offended with what Paul wrote about slavery and think that he did endorse it in some way. And I want to encourage you today to be able to know how to answer that emphatically and say Paul did not endorse slavery and in a most divine way, as an inspired writer of God's word. So our theme verse for Timothy, though, let's say that together as we begin and we'll pray and then read in the scripture. First Timothy 3:15, God's word says, "But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar, and ground of the truth. And so there the theme here is living out love in the local church. And in chapter 5, we, we started and how we are to encourage and exhort one another. The old, the young, the man, the woman, to live out that love and honoring one another. And then he talked about honoring the widows. And then he talked about honoring the elders. We talked about that last week, and today, look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I'll just read verses 1 and 2 of 1 Timothy 6, and this is our message, three keys for a Christian slave, and incredibly, Paul tells the slaves, after telling the church to honor widows, after telling the church to honor their pastors, now he says to the slaves, honor your master. Now think of that. Let's read it together, 1 Timothy 6, 1 and 2. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit, these things teach and exhort. And let's pray. So thank you Lord for your church. As Timothy says that, as Paul writes to Timothy that this is your house, that your house is the church of the living God. We so are thankful that you established your church. You are the head of the church and Lord we are here today gathered in Your presence to worship You, O Father, and Your Son, Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit today. We are here to fulfill Your ordinances, and we are here to obey the Great Commission. This is our command in the local church, Lord, and we thank You for Your church, that we are Your possession, that we worship a living God, not a dead idol that we are the pillar and ground of the church and we desire to hold up Your truth to the world. So Lord, help us now as we look at this important passage of Scripture. In Jesus' name, Amen. So I want to speak today on this subject, Three Keys for a Christian Slave. And right off the bat, I want to say all of us can apply this message to our lives. Because all of us are slaves... Or we should be slaves of who? Of our Lord Jesus Christ. Three keys for a Christian slave. Well, about a hundred years before Paul wrote this passage of Scripture, there was a famous Roman slave named Spartacus. And he sought to overthrow slavery in the Roman Empire through revolt. He was tall, exceptionally strong, and some suggest he became a slave when he was captured in a war. And he was sold as a slave. Because of his strength, he was trained as a gladiator. Now, movies have been made of Spartacus, starring Kirk Douglas, way back in 1960, that have increased his fame. But as a gladiator, Spartacus fought and killed for the entertainment of Roman crowds. But finally he decided he could endure slavery no longer. So he decided to escape from this life. But his plan was discovered. And so the Roman government scheduled to execute Spartacus. Rather than submit to that, however... He decided to fight his way out of slavery for freedom. He escaped and he went to the countryside. And there many gathered around him and joined in his revolt. And he actually went to war with his makeshift army against the mighty Roman powerful army. About 70,000. And he sought to overthrow the system of slavery that infested the Roman Empire. With amazing grit and real cunningness, he was able to even win some battles, prolong the war, but soon Rome was just too powerful and Spartacus was killed in battle. To teach those slaves throughout the empire the lesson not to try that one again about, at least this is what I could find, there's obviously different numbers of history so long ago. But at least up to 6,000 slaves were crucified on the famous Roman road called the Appian Way. And their bodies were left to rot on those crosses as a lesson of Rome's power and of and the slaves not to revolt any longer. In this passage of Scripture, I believe that Paul does not follow, obviously, Spartacus' Spartacus' tactic to revolt in warfare against Roman slavery. But it's as if his method to overthrow slavery, not by revolt, but through Christ-like servanthood kindness. And in some kind of way, Paul's counsel would lead to the crumbling of slavery in the Roman Empire. And for us today, whatever he says in this passage about slaves and masters, there's even more weight upon us as employers to employees because none of us are slaves here. From what I know. And if you're in a job that you feel that you don't want to be, you have the freedom to leave that job and find a better. And thank God for our freedoms. Not perfect, but yes, free. And so the application for us is in the employer-employee relationship. And whatever Paul says to a slave in relationship to his master, surely there's extra weight upon us to do what Paul is writing these slaves to do. So there's real application for us in a passage like this, even though, thankfully, we have done away with slavery in our country. But before I get into the message, I want to just quickly review a few kinds of slavery that have been practiced in history, so that we kind of understand where Paul's coming from as well. So a first kind of slavery is called we could call it man stealing. And you know that it's in the Bible. Actually, right in First Timothy, if you look in First Timothy chapter one, Paul writes against this form of slavery: man-stealing. Man-stealing, of course, is denounced in the scripture. It is against God's ways entirely to steal a man out of their home. And force them into bondage without any hope or way of escape. Them and their descendants after them. This is essentially, although some may have slaves like this were in the Roman Empire, this was not essentially the system of slavery in Rome. And... But look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, where Paul says, knowing this, that a law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane. And so he's saying the law is written for people who are ungodly, who are lawless, who are sinners. And then he says for murderers of, of, of fathers and murderers of mothers. And then what's the last... He says, for man slayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind. And then he says, for who? For men stealers. Now, he puts men stealers in there in a list of really terrible sins. Man stealing was the kind of slavery practiced in the United States. Where slaves were stolen from their home in Africa and brought here without any hope of escape. And so, man-stealing is condemned in the Bible. The form of slavery used in this country is utterly, sinfully wrong and cannot be justified. And there's another Scripture we can even look at if you go back, and I think it's good for us to know this in Exodus chapter 21. So when Paul references slavery, and even we're going to look at God referencing slavery in a better light. He's not talking about man-stealing. Man-stealing is utterly condemned. And by the way, the Roman slavery was not based on ethnicity or skin color as well. And obviously our slavery in this country, which also made it heinous, was totally based upon that. And I believe actually it was Evolutionary in its thinking—that uh, you know, evolution is a wicked system of uh, and worldview. Do you know that evolution is wicked and ungodly and unbiblical? And the er, the early evolutionists were, without question, racists and believed that black people were less evolved than white people. That is wicked racism right there. Anyway, Exodus chapter 21. And the verse is 16. And it's good for us to know this, that the Bible condemns the kind of slavery that was practiced in the United States. Exodus chapter 21 and the verse is 16. And it says here, And he that stealeth a man, there's the man stealing, and selleth him, there it is, selleth him as a slave, or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. And so man-stealing is one form of slavery. And one cannot take what Paul wrote about slaves to try to justify the, American, the African slave trade. Okay, So I, I don't want to harp on that, but I, I just wanted to put that out there. The second kind of slavery, you can stay right there in Exodus, and actually go to Deuteronomy 15. We'll, we'll read a couple verses from Deuteronomy 15. The second kind of slavery I just want to hit upon real fast is Hebrew servanthood. Now in Hebrew servanthood... Now listen, impoverished Israelites who were in debt or financial despair could sell themselves into a form of slavery as almost like a house servant in order to pull themselves out of poverty and out of bankruptcy. So Hebrew servanthood and I have the verses, and you can read more. It's in Exodus 21, Deuteronomy 15, are the two main passages. But there, it's referenced in other places. It was a personal decision that someone made in financial destitution. It was also for a temporary period of time, seven years. After seven years, they could go free. And if there was any abuse, and this is the Exodus passage, Exodus talks about how even if a master broke the tooth of his servant, the servant was free. So in other words, there was not to be any physical abuse at all. If so, he would be freed. And in Deuteronomy, very interestingly, after the seven years, and this is what I want to read, I thought it was pretty interesting, Deuteronomy 15, is after seven years, the owner of the slave, the master, would would furnish his slave with some flocks and with some kids and, and so that he could go and make a living for himself in his freedom. And it's in Exodus, uh, Gen, uh, sorry, I'll get it right here, Deuteronomy chapter 15 and verse 12. Why don't I just read up at verse 12, Deuteronomy 15 verse 12. It says, And if thy brother, a Hebrew man or an Hebrew woman, be sold unto thee and serve thee six years, that in the seventh year you shall let him go free from thee, and when you send him out from thee, out free from thee, thou shalt not let him go away empty. You shall furnish him liberally out of thy flock and of thy floor and out of thy winepress. And of that wherewith the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, thou shalt give to him. And remember, every Jewish person had to remember that they were slaves too in Egypt. Okay, so Hebrew servanthood actually, and I I enumerated a few things there, of certain aspects of benevolence in this form of slavery, far different from the American slave trade. The third kind of slavery here is this Roman slavery. Now, slavery was deeply ingrained in the Roman Empire. From what I could find, some say up to one-third of the empire were slaves. That's up to 50 to 60 million people. But it was possible to become a free man. Do you remember that one occasion where Paul was under arrest and the Roman soldier thought that Paul was a slave? And Paul said, no, I'm a free man. He said, oh, you're free? He said, with a great sum, I've obtained my freedom. So somehow he was able to buy his freedom out of that Roman form of bondage. But slaves were made captives through different ways, not based on ethnic background. They may have been acquired through piracy, and/or they were, they were prisoners from a war, and they were made slaves. Now, some slaves were teachers, tutors, craftsmen, managers, cooks, gladiators, even government officials. And Roman slaves sometimes owned slaves. <laughs> Go figure. Now, slavery was a big issue in the first century church. Here are at least some of the Scriptures that deal with it. We don't have time to look at all of them. But Paul, in writing to the church, often addressed slaves and the masters of those slaves. And if there is one Scripture that is very helpful for us. It's in Galatians. If you could go to Galatians, and chapter number 3. And I don't even believe this verse is on there, so it's good to go to Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 28. Very helpful verse here about how the church was to view slaves and even their masters. Because can you imagine a slave owner and a slave walking into the church? You think they put the owners on one side and the slaves on the other? No. No. In Jesus Christ, the slave and the master were one. In Jesus Christ, the slave and the master, even in our Timothy passage, were brothers. And were to love each other. Galatians chapter 3, can you read verse 28 together? It says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul is not eliminating gender distinctions. He's not eliminating your ethnic heritage when he says as well that, that there's neither Jew nor Greek. He's not eliminating the different ethnicities that we have. And you could be thankful for your, your heritage culturally and ethnically and be thankful for how God has brought you into the world. And always love your nation. There's nothing wrong with that. But what he's saying is, is nobody's superior to anybody else. Male is not superior to female. And Jew is not superior to Gentile. And a a, a free man is not superior to a slave. That's very important for the church to realize. This last kind of slavery is, uh, uh, and it's a form of really man-stealing and kidnapping, but it's going on today just to let you know it's going on around the world and it's going on in the United States. To what extent? I don't know because it's done in darkness, but there's a lot of what we could call human and child trafficking in our modern day. That is truly a great tragedy. Some say up to between 20. Again, the numbers vary, but anywhere from in like 25 million up to 50 million or in some kind of forced labor, domestic servitude, child labor, sex trafficking. We know children are being trafficked across our southern border as well as in other parts of the world. Children are being grossly abused and misused for deviant and wicked people by deviant and wicked people. And so it's still a problem. Slavery is still... It hasn't gone away. So these are four of the different kinds of slavery. Man-stealing, Hebrew servanthood, Roman slavery, and human child trafficking, even in our modern day. Now, I know that the issue of slavery is a very sensitive subject. I'm not an expert on it. I'm just going to try to break down, though, for you, and I think it will be very helpful in First Timothy chapter 6. And, and I want us to see three keys from this passage of Scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 6, for how a slave can endure the injustice of that system. And if a slave is called to endure that injustice, and to live for Jesus Christ in it and through it, how much more, whatever your situation is, how much more should I and you be able to live out Jesus Christ If you've been treated unjustly or unfairly in some kind of way. So, I want us to look at three keys for a Christian slave. And this applies to all of us. How to endure that injustice. And first of all, there's a key principle. And the key principle is in chapter 6, verse 1a. Where he says, Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters. And there it is. What's the principle? Worthy of all... Honor. That's a very powerful word. Honor means to maintain an inner attitude of respect toward the slave owner. To honor the master, the slave was not just to outwardly conform to the master's wishes. He was to inwardly, in his thoughts, in his attitude, in his heart, have a have a, a heart of honor and respect. Not mere outward conformity. Notice the words of this text. Let as many servants. And the word is doulos. Which means a bond servant. Someone without any rights. Someone who is not working for wages for himself. But he is under the authority and working for a master. Aristotle wrote, and it was still the, the way of thinking in the first century, Aristotle, that philosopher, a foolish philosopher because he didn't know Jesus sadly that we, from what we know, is that Aristotle wrote slaves were considered living tools. And a tool was an inanimate slave. So, I have a hammer... This hammer is my slave, it's inanimate. I have a slave, that's my tool, just like the hammer. That's how slaves were viewed in this century. They're under the yoke. Under the yoke speaks of one victim and oppressed by tyranny. Under the yoke. The Bible speaks about yokes of iron. And so when it says this servant was under the yoke, it speaks that he is a victim. He could. He's well being oppressed, by a, perhaps even by a tyrannical type man, because then he says, under the yoke, he says, count, that is, calculate your masters to be worthy of all honor. And the word master there, we get our word despot. Now, what's a despot? Like a tyrant. That's the word there in the original language. A despot. And so... This one had absolute control. So, this is, we cannot get away from that language. And yet, Paul says, Count these masters worthy of all honor. Now, we might say, How in the world could Paul ask of this? How could they not allow their inner feelings, because that's what's going to get in the way here? (coughs) You know, our feelings get in the way of our actions. Don't they all the time? I mean, I, I told you I went to a beautiful fellowship yesterday in Yonkers, and then I, but I didn't tell you when I drove home. I got stuck on the Van Wick Expressway for like an hour and didn't move because they're like building a bridge there or something. I don't know. But I was like, and, and I, I started blaming my wife and she started blaming me, you know, why we were in this traffic jam. You know what I mean? So sometimes it's not so easy in our feelings. little transparency there, Okay. But he says, and then of course we apologize. <laughs> it was all my fault, honey. <laughs> I was the one driving anyway, you know. I mean <laughs> okay, but look at First look Peter chapter 2. Look at First Peter chapter 2. And Peter, with even stronger language than Paul, tells these slaves to endure the hardship of slavery. And their example is Jesus Christ. But look at First Peter chapter 2. This is the passage that was read early. We won't reread the whole thing. But who are we to honor in verse 17? What does it say in First Peter 2.17? Who are we to honor? All, all men. So right there, does that mean that slaves should all honor their masters? And it also means the master should honor his slave. The honor would go both ways. Honor all men. And it even says who is the last person we're to honor in verse 17? The king. Now, who was the king when Peter wrote this? Nero. You know what Nero was going to do to Peter? Kill him. Peter tells people to honor the king that was going to kill him. Think of that one. But we don't honor someone because we like him. We don't honor someone because we agree with everything they do or say. We honor someone because God in His sovereignty has put that person in authority over us. So, down in verse 18, he says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. That's reverence. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. Those are the difficult ones. The despots. The tyrants. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. And he's talking to slaves suffering wrongfully. And he says, it's thankworthy. You have a reward from God. What glory is it if, if you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently. In other words, if a slave stole something and he got beat up, then he... That's, his, that's on him. But he says, but if when you do well and suffer for it and take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. And then Peter says, for even here unto were you called. Huh? Slave? if somebody was... in Now, okay, I didn't write it. I'm just telling you. This is how... If somebody was born into slavery or they were a slave, they had to to say, by God's sovereign hand, because God's in control, I'm called into this condition. And it is my responsibility if I have to suffer, I will suffer like Jesus Christ suffered for me. And that's what he goes on and say. Christ also suffered for us. It's all about Jesus and we'll see that. So how could they do this? The key principle of honor. How could it be done? Because the gospel provides supernatural grace. The gospel provides infinite help for whatever your condition, even if it's the worst of conditions. And so the gospel helps us to see all men as what? Number one. Image bearers of God. That slave had to see his master as an image bearer of God. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1, it's just a general statement to all slaves. And here it does seem that the master is not a believer, but it's more of a general statement. But So the slave in this situation is saved. If the master wasn't, he had to see him as an image bearer of God. And the slave needed to do what for his master? Pray for him to be saved. We've been talking about that. Remember? There's one savior. The savior of all men is who? Jesus Christ. And God will have all men to be what? Saved. Did that include the masters of the slaves? Yes. So this slave was living Christ out and suffering even wrongfully and praying for his master to be what? Born again. And that was more important. His eternal salvation was more important than even that slave's freedom. So I say, I ask this question, was Paul promoting slavery? No, he wasn't. He was promoting the salvation of all men. That's what he's promoting. He's promoting that salvation is the most important thing for any and every man. And and from God's standpoint, God wants all men to be saved. And God could... God could save the slave owner just as much as He could save the slave. There were saved slave owners in the church. Paul even wrote a letter to one of them, right? His name is Philemon. Of course, what a great example of this. John Newton. At the age of ten, he was introduced to the slave trade. And he got onto those slave ships and he trafficked in human life. He trafficked in the kidnapping of human life. And even after he stopped on, the, on the, the slave ships, he invested in the slave trade. He was an atheist, a blasphemer. But God in His sovereignty put John Newton in a storm that scared the daylights out of him And he prayed for the Lord to deliver him, and God didn't kill him in the storm. And through that, of course, he became saved. And he became one of the loudest voices in England, along with William Wilberforce, you know the story, I'm sure many of you, to undo slavery without war far before it was undone in the United States after a brutal civil war. In 1806, before Newton died, Slaves were set free. That's a miracle. But you know, God saved a key man and then became a mighty voice for the freedom of slaves. And God was doing that as well, I believe, in the first century. So that's the key principle to honor all men. The key priority is in the second part of that verse that the name of God and His doctrine... Not be blasphemed. That's that's our priority. See, so Paul's focus, we sometimes just have to check our feelings in at the door. (laughs) Because Paul's focus is not on the slave's feelings. I'm sure he felt terrible many days. Don't you sometimes? And you're not even a slave. Check your feelings in at the door. And live in such a way that the name of God will not be brought through the mud because of how you're living. That's what Paul's telling these slaves. That the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. So you see, what if a slave owner had a slave, and then that slave became a Christian, and, he, and that slave becomes now lazy, saying, I'm not going to work for that man. I shouldn't be a slave. He should set me free. Or maybe he had an attitude that because Jesus has made him free, he should be free. Maybe that that owner could have said, boy, who needs a religion like that guy has? He used to be respectful and now he's not respectful. He used to work hard and now he's lazy. So Paul is saying to these slaves, live in such a way that God's name will be honored and His doctrine will not be Injured. And that should be our concern because Romans chapter 2 even says that the name of God is blasphemed all day long among the Gentiles through how the Jewish people were living. And there's been plenty of Gentiles who have brought the name of Jesus Christ through the mud by the way they've lived. Listen, on your job, don't lollipop it. You know what that my my father used to tell us like when when we were playing in the outfield and when we were, like, catching a fly ball, and, and, like, okay, like, catching a fly ball with my... My father would say, you look like a lobster catching that ball. Use two hands! Use two hands! You know? So my father would always be... And then, and then you know, after you catch the ball, you just go... That's what you call lollipop in it. It's like just doing it without even trying. Not, oh, when you catch the ball, catch it with two hands and then throw it back, you know? Put some zeal behind it, you know? So... Paul's telling these slaves to work hard. Look in Titus chapter 2 and verse number 10. Here he tells the the servants in verse 9. This is the exhortation in this pastoral epistle to the slaves. And again, whatever he says to servants, apply it to your job and don't lollipop it on your job. Don't go half hearted when you're working. Titus chapter 2 verse 9 says, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, that's stealing, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. Paul is saying that through disciplined, diligent work, we... Put the Gospel on display with beautiful clothes. We're well-dressed spiritually when we're showing hard work effort. Give your best effort. I read the story of two men and they, were, they became saved on their job. And so they started talking to each other. You know, when you find a believer on the job, it's a blessing, Right? And so they started talking and sharing with one another. But they were doing it on the, on, on, the, on the clock. And so the boss was looking at them, what are these Christians doing? Fellowshiping together like they're in church. Listen, when you're at work, you're not at church. Work! So one day, one of those young men emerged out of the washroom where he had been for 20 minutes and he goes to his buddy and he says, man, I just had the greatest time in the Lord. I just read three chapters in the Gospel of John. Listen, you could read three chapters of the Gospel of John, but not in the John when you're at work. (laughs) Work! You're not there to read the Bible. I encourage you to read the Bible. But not when you're on the clock. You're working for somebody else. You're stealing, actually, when you're doing that. Now, this is an important point. What if Paul wrote to the slave owners and said, "I demand, when your slave becomes saved, that you free him." And Paul, as an apostle, demanded that. Or what if Paul, as I put here, focused his goal upon the justice of freeing all the slaves, like Spartacus did? Well, what could Paul have? What could have happened? Paul could have got thousands and thousands of slaves as well as Christians killed. They would have blasphemed, perhaps, in the Roman Empire, the name of God and His doctrine. And if Paul focused his goal upon social justice to liberate oppressed slaves, you know what it would have done if an, an inspired apostle had done that? Just think of it. It would have forever changed the whole purpose of the local church. That the purpose of the church would have been just bringing about social equality for everyone. Now, we want social equality, but what we as a church must keep laser beam focused upon is what Jesus told us to do. And that is to go into all the world and not set all the slaves free as much as we want them all to be free. But to do what? to preach the Gospel so that they are spiritually set free. Let me ask you this question. Was Jesus Christ a political revolutionary? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. He could have easily defeated the Roman Empire with one word. He could have defeated and destroyed slavery throughout the Roman Empire with one word. He didn't. He didn't. He went to the cross. He died for our sins. He rose again from the dead. And when He comes, He will establish justice. But Jesus Christ came to do the work of the Gospel for our eternal salvation. And then before He left... He commissioned the disciples to go into all the world and to preach that Gospel so that people could be set free from their sins. And our commission is not to reform social structures. That is not the mission of the church. To transform culture. The mission of the church is to preach the Gospel and see people come to Christ. Now when that happens, culture will be changed. But that's not our emphasis. See, the, the mission of the church is not to lead parades and protests and marches. People are going to do that anyway. And if you feel that there's a parade or a protest that you should be involved in, that's between you and God. But our church will not organize protests and parades for a social cause we will go out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're here to do. That is what we're here to do. I'll say amen. Amen, preacher. I I know you agree with that. That's our priority. And, And I'm glad that Paul kept his focus on the name of God. Remember when, remember when the Lord saved Paul and He says, you're calling. Jesus Christ said what Paul's call was. And Jesus knew Paul was going to go throughout the whole Gentile world where there were going to be slaves and slave owners everywhere. Did Jesus tell Paul, now Paul, as you go, I want you to make sure that you tell all those slave masters to release their slaves. Is that what He told him? No. He said, I want you to go and bear my name, the name which is above every name, Jesus Christ. So that's what we're here to do. Now, the last thing, and I hope you could stick with me because this is where I really got blown away. Are you tired? Man, I hate the clock. It's going fast. Okay, there's a key power though. There's two things here. In in verse 2 now. Now, Paul is specifically directing Christian slaves which have Christian masters in verse 2. He says, "...they that have believing masters, let them not despise them." So slaves were not to look down upon them, but they were to see their believing masters. Notice how they were to see them in this verse. He says... Because they are brethren, they're brothers, and rather do them service because they are faithful, they're believers, and he says they're beloved. So there's three B's there. They're believers, they're beloved, and they're brothers in Christ. And notice that word rather in our our King James text. He says, but rather... That means even more these Christian slaves are called to serve their Christian masters. Rather means even more fervently. And that applies to you on your job and me on my job. It says don't despise them. Don't look down upon them. And if you have a Christian owner, you should be really thankful for that Christian owner and don't take advantage of him as a Christian, but work hard for him. Then this, the next thing is this. And now it's going to get a little technical, but I got a blessing out of this that I cannot tell you how big a blessing. So I'm going to try to explain it. I hope. Uh, uh, are you awake? Do you guys need to do a jumping jack? Okay, just give me a couple minutes. It's going to take me a couple minutes to develop this because... But but it's really amazing what Paul says here now. He says, But rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved. Now, notice the last phrase there. They're partakers of the benefit. Paul is telling these slaves to do them even more service because they are partakers of the benefit, which is some kind of a good deed. Now, Throughout Roman culture a key part of their whole economy and how things worked was a system of patrons and or benefactors patrons or benefactors and they had clients the patrons or benefactors were the wealthy and the patron or benefactor would do a and the word here is that word benefit, he would do a good deed to his client, his less wealthy client. And in return, that client would give honor to his patron. And the whole culture of Rome was built around this patron-client relationship. Even the Roman Caesar had a patron so he could get to the top. And then Caesar was a patron to client kings around the empire. So let me just give you an example of this. In the land of Israel in the New Testament, there was a city called Caesarea. Now, who was that city named after? Caesar Augustus. Who named it Caesarea? The client king of Caesar Augustus named Herod. Herod, because he... Because Caesar was his patron in order to honor him, because you see, Caesar did Herod a good deed. What was the good deed? He let him be king. <laughs> Caesar, Herod was king because Caesar let him be king. See, that's the benefit that Caesar did. It's the rich one who does the benefit for the less wealthy. That's what you have to get here. That word benefit is used for the rich doing a good deed for the poorer. So, Herod named the town Caesarea after Caesar to, because he had received being a king and received that benefit, so now he's going to give him honor. When you receive a benefit from a benefactor, you have to do them honor. And by the way, Caesarea Philippi, after Herod died, Philip's son... Named, uh, uh, Herod's son named Philip named a town outside of Israel called Caesarea Philippi. Who did he name it after? Caesar. Because Philip was also a client king of Caesar. So that, that's how things worked. Is that, are you with me a little bit? You're with me on this? Okay. So now here are the words. And here's the thing. Let me, and let me hit this right now and I'll hit it again. This is, the amazing, this is what blew me away. Paul is telling these slaves to act like kings. To act like the patrons. As if their masters were their clients. And that would, in a sense, force them, if they were Christians, to do what? To give them honor. And ultimately, to what? I believe that Paul is, Paul is kind of subtly causing the Christian slave masters to come under conviction when their, when their slaves showed them this respect and did these good deeds of benefit. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? That blew me away when I found that word. So here's the word. It's, the Greek word is euergesia. I don't know if I'm saying that right. but that's, and I, I just want you to see the connection of these words. That word benefit. And ergon is the Greek word, which is the root of you. you is the word good and good work? Er, ergon is the root of that word benefit, and that's the word in First Timothy six one. Now I want you to go to Luke chapter twenty two, or if you don't have it, but I have it up on the screen. And here's the second word because Jesus used Jesus used this word benefactor in Luke chapter twenty two verse twenty five, and he talked about kings. Who are called benefactors. Can you read that verse? It says, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. So the kings are called benefactors, and it's the kings, going back to this, the kings who are called, you are getes, who do benefits for their clients, you are Jessea. And the word is also used incredibly by, of Jesus, who went about doing good. And that's a verb. Doing good works So Jesus Christ is the ultimate servant who did good works. So it's an incredible thing. So just again to summarize, Paul is instructing these poor slaves to do good deeds or to show benefits as if they were rich. As if they were rich. And were they? In Jesus Christ, were they? Were they really rich? They had true riches. So because of their true position in Jesus Christ, Paul is calling upon them to live out their Christian faith and show the riches of Jesus Christ to their masters. That's an amazing thing. And so the poor slaves were to act like rich men because so they were. And dear friend, On your job, live out your riches. Live out your riches. In Jesus Christ, we have to remind ourselves every day, I am rich. And so in a sense, I say to you, Paul is killing slavery with Christ-like kindness and the servanthood of Jesus Christ being demonstrated through these slaves. Because Jesus Christ is the ultimate servant. Jesus said, whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And how do we do this? Because Jesus Christ, our Creator King, the ultimate benefactor, the ultimate wealthy one of all creation, took upon himself the form of a slave. The form of a slave. And that's doulos. Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 actually uses that word doulos, a slave. And He did the ultimate work. And I'll use that word, the ultimate benefit, First Timothy 6. And we are partakers of the benefit of Jesus Christ. And because we have partaken of His benefit, of His death, of His shed blood, of His powerful resurrection, so we can show forth the riches of our faith that in Jesus Christ, I am free, even if I'm a slave. I am rich, even though I am poor. And so Paul turns the entire system of social interaction in Rome upside down. He he steals the language of his culture and he applies it to the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is our true benefactor King. And He gives us power to honor His name wherever we are, wherever we go, on your job. Your job is to honor the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. May God bless you. May God fill you with His Spirit. May he, he give you patience and love and joy. And again I say, if slaves are called to do this, how much more should we in our homes? How much more should husbands do? let their wives be a partaker of their benefit? Live out your riches, husbands. Let's live out our riches toward our wives. Wives... How much more should you show your riches and show your love to your husband and to your children and in the church? How much more should we love one another in this place? Because we walked in here freely and we're with other people who believe as we believe. Let us love. Let us show forth the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ in this place. Let's stand together as we pray. a key principle to honor all men, a key priority to glory in His name and His doctrine, and a key power in Christ. We have riches and freedom. Christ is our power. And this is why, this is why as well, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, this is why Paul could embrace that word slave when he introduced himself to the church of Rome, the most powerful city of the world. Paul introduced himself to that church in Rome as a slave of Jesus Christ. He was not ashamed of what Jesus Christ did for him in becoming a servant. And now he was the Lord's slave Are you a slave of Jesus Christ? Would you say to the Lord today, Lord, I'll do whatever You want me to do. I'll go where You want me to go because I'm Yours. You are my Master, my loving Lord. Your yoke is upon me, but Your yoke is easy and Your burden is light. And Lord, You are worthy. If a human patron was worthy of man to give him honor, and if all men are worthy of our honor, oh God, how much more worthy are You of our honor today. Glory and honor and blessing be unto Your name. Forgive us, Lord, that we have lived in such a way as to injure Your name before our family, our friends, and our co-workers, our employers, forgive us, Lord, and help us now today to say, Lord, we want Your name to be lifted up and honored on our job, into my home, and my community. Lord, help me. Help all of us now today. How I many would say, Pastor Matt, yes, I want to be the servant of Jesus Christ. That's my desire, to live as a servant of Jesus because He's my, He became a servant for me. And I will be a servant for Him. Just put your hand up to the Lord. And just pray and ask God to give you power, to give you grace, to give you His peace. To overcome disputes and conflicts. To be forgiving overcome bitterness and strife and worldly wisdom and live for the glory of His name. Because you're rich in Jesus. You have power in Jesus. You're free in Jesus. You can put your hands down. Thank You, Lord. If there's anyone here today who needs Christ as their Savior, please talk to me. Talk to... Pastor Carmine, Micah, one of our deacons, or one of our members. There's many people here who could point you to Christ. So now, Lord, we love you and praise you, and we thank you for this day and continue to bless us as we live it for you. In Jesus' name, amen.